Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Welcome to the Nick and Night Show, the show with the hottest theme song and the best content of any show broadcast from here in the bunker on a Wednesday evening. <laughs> I got to start by telling you about my week. It has been a blast. It's been chaotic. It's been insane. You won't look. <clears throat> my wife and my two youngest have decided that a trip to Nova Scotia was in the works and that my mother-in-law was going to provide ground transportation. Which is a fancy way of saying they took a road trip to Nova Scotia. Because Grandma wanted to see her two uh, grandsons out on the coast. And she wanted to take her granddaughters and her daughter with her. And I said, sure, go, 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 go. I don't care, go. So at any rate, for the next two weeks after that, once that decision was made, there, were, there was a list of chaos. Like, you would not believe the pandelirium. It was going on in the Vander in the Vander Clan household. It was incredible. Now my wife is an amazing woman, and I love her to death. Please do not under do not mistake this under any circumstances, okay? But she is also very very detail oriented. Not only was she preparing for the trip, she was making sure that yours truly was well fed and looked after while I was, while she was away. She's gone for ten days. She's down to about eight now. And had to make sure that, oh, you know what? We cannot let this poor boy survive on his own. He'll die. Because my idea of cooking is finding something edible in a can, opening it over the sink, and eating it. All right? That's all the cooking I do. I love to eat the, pro- the, the, the end product from someone cooking. I love that part. Uh, that might explain this little pear shape I have. But at the same time, I'm not interested in doing the actual cooking. There's only one time when I will cook. And that is when I don't have any choice. That's out when I'm fishing and I've got some fish. And it's supper time. I will fry up the fish in the frying pan with some cut up potatoes, sautéed mushrooms, and something nice and cold to drink. That's it. That's the only time I ever cook. And believe me, I've made a mess of some of those. (laughs) So at any rate, so she's getting ready to go. And we also have... We've got a, a party going on at our place on Friday and Saturday. It's a bit of an overnight thing. And we'll have, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 30 guests. So there was food to prepare for that. The house had to be clean, of course, uh, because you wouldn't want somebody 
you know, who's going to be sleeping in a tent outside to think that your house is, your your wife is a slob, right? She couldn't keep an untidy house. So on top of all that, she's getting ready uh, for this party by making sure that yours truly represents her properly to our guests to make sure the house is clean. So not only was I mowing the lawn and cleaning up the garbage and all that stuff and just making sure the place looked presentable. You have people over, you want to make sure it's, you know, the place looks good. So I go to Ottawa on Monday night because my week in Ottawa starts on Monday night. I go to work on Tuesday morning and I'm here until Thursday morning and then I go home. And uh, about uh, last night at about 8.30 at night, I get a phone call. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who lives 10 minutes from us, who's got two kids of her own in her own life, is absolutely hysterical. She is unconcerned. She's just breaking down on the phone. Now, Kate is a very stable young lady. So for her to be melting down like this, I'm going, turns out all the horses got loose. Now, there's nobody at home, okay? My 17-year-old son and my sister who lives with us are the only ones home. And my sister needs constant supervision. So you've got 13 horses over in the neighbor's field. Okay? And you've got <laughs> my daughter. It's getting dark. She goes over, and if you know which horse to catch, you grab the right one, the lead mare. Then you can lead them all home. Well, she does, and she's very, because she's excellent with horses. Grabs a hold of, of um of Yuma or, or or Nikki, I can't remember which horse it was. Doesn't matter, you don't know them anyway. Grabbed a hold of it, leading home, and just it's absolutely pandemonium. She, the, we had had them on the back half of the farm, and for the most part of the summer, they'd stayed there. And I said, guys, just two more days. I just got to get through this weekend. You guys stay right there. Well, as soon as I went to Ottawa, they decided it was party time. So I had to go home last night. Get up this morning, and from 8 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I was mending fences with my daughter. And it was just, we were ready to, and on top of that, before my wife hadn't left for, oh, how long was she gone? Before, on the morning she left, on Monday morning, her and I went out, and we have a little, it's an old chicken coop that we keep two pigs in, okay? And they're just, oh, I don't know, they're probably 40, 50 pounds they're probably going to double in size before we actually send them off to the meat man and turn them into pork chops and, and sausage and all that stuff. No, I got a story to tell you about pigs coming up in a minute. But the bottom line is pigs are incredibly strong. They're incredibly smart. And these are Houdinis, impossible to keep in. So we spent two hours nailing down their little pen and turning it into Fort Knox going, ha, get out of that. So she goes on her merry way. An hour later, my son walks into the kitchen and says, Dad, the pigs are out. I said, you lie. You lie. And he says, no, I saw them in the backyard a minute ago. I went out, and sure enough, the little buggers had gotten out. Now, fortunately, pigs are predictable. They're walking, grunting, oinking, rooting, garburators on four legs. So I grabbed some grain in a bucket, and I shook it, walked them right back into the shed, closed and locked the door. So they're not going anywhere. But I couldn't believe it. I looked at that pen, and there is no indication, none, about how they got out. So unless a pig that's 18 inches high can jump a four-foot fence, I don't know how that works. Or they sprouted wings and then kicked them off once they get over the fence. A mystery to me. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a kind of a, as Jeff Foxworthy would say, it was pandelirium. So <laughs> all that just to get the show started. Now, 
Okay. Yeah, BLTs with lots of B. You got that right. I tell you what, I was so mad at those pigs, I was ready to turn them into footballs. I didn't even want the meat. I just, you guys, and we, this is the last year we're going to do pigs. I'm going to, I've got a neighbor who's all set up for them, and I'm going to go and buy a couple little runts, and we're going to give them to them. They're going to raise them for them. We'll pay for the fee, raise them for us. And come slaughter time, off they go, and that's it. I am not doing pigs anymore. This is the second time we've had them, and both times they have been impossible to keep contained. And if they get over to your neighbor's place and get rooting around in the lawn looking for grubs, you know, you might think your pigs are doing them a favor getting rid of the grubs, but the neighbors don't like the way they do it. They, you know, tend to turn the lawn over. So there was a little history there, too. Excuse me. <coughs> So it was an adventure this week. Now, speaking of pigs, I'm going to start with this story because I just, I think it's hilarious. And listen, with the news this week, we got to have something to laugh at. If I can just find the right story, I'll scroll through my little list here. Where is it? Uh, no, that ain't it. Is it that one? No, that's another stupid brain dead story. Oh, yeah, piglets saved in barn fire, made into sausages for firefighters who rescue them. Okay, considering what I just went through, um, I, I couldn't... <laughs> it was priceless. This story is out of England. Okay, it, I, I'm not sure where in England. Excuse me. <coughs> All right. A number of piglets in England had their bacon saved from a barn fire. I love the, the, the humor of the writer here. But months later, they were turned into organic sausages and given to the firefighters who saved them. Farmer Rachel Rivers promised the firefighters some sausages made from the 18 rescued piglets as a token of thanks after her barn went up in flames in February. Rivers, who farms near the village of Pusey, came through as promised, despite criticism from animal activists and vegetarians. Frankly, I couldn't care less what those two groups think. That's just me. This is just what we do. We're not an animal sanctuary. We give the pigs the best opportunity and the best life they can have for six months. And then guess they turn get turned into bacon and pork chops and ham and sausages. That's what happens to commercially raised pigs. Okay. They won't be kept out inside. They're outdoors and feed, fed with organic food, which is grown on the farm. The Pusey Fire Station posted the story on Facebook and thanked the Rivers for dropping off the sausages. Huge thank you to Rachel Rivers for dropping them off for us to sample. Highly recommended by the fire station crew. And if any one of our followers is having a bank holiday barbecue this weekend, then check out these sausages. They are fantastic. Well, when the station posted that, some people complained, and they apologized and took the post down. I'm sorry. I think it's hilarious. I really do. Like, you know what? Pigs, you shouldn't feel guilty. You know why you shouldn't feel guilty about eating pigs? Because given the opportunity, they would eat you. Without a doubt. Look, there are every single animal I know of, except for a blue-eyed baby I.I. Look that up sometime. Tell me that's cute. Either any human being on the planet can, can tell me the blue-eyed baby I.I. is cute. Okay, so anyway, every baby animal is cute when they're born. And even for a little while after that. But there comes a time when they're not cute anymore. And pigs are the first to hit that point. They go from cute to noisy to destructive and then to dangerous. If you step into a pen with a three or four hundred pound boar, it better be dead or you might be. They are mean. They are nasty. They will tear you up. 
Don't ever feel guilty about eating a pig. Because given the chance, like I said, that they will eat you. They are always hungry. You could feed them 24 hours a day and they would probably eat till they die. They just, and the noise they make, they're rude. They just, anyway, so I just thought I'd start with that because that's a, a hilarious story. And in another way, it's, it's you know, what, what did you think was going to happen to the pigs? What were they saving them for? You know, to, to make pets out of them? No, they're food. The first time we get pigs, the first time around, my three youngest, um, I took them outside because it was the first time we had animals, livestock for food. And I said to them, I said, look, and these things are little runts. They, they, were, they were cute, you know, probably about, oh, I don't know, foot and a half, 18 inches long, whatever. They might have weighed five or 10 pounds a piece. They were not big. And I said, okay, now see those pigs over there? And all three, the two little girls and a little boy looked at me. I said, yeah, Dad, we see them. And I said, okay, those are not like a dog or a cat. They are not pets. They're not like the horses. Okay? We are going to raise them, and when they get to the right size, we're going to send them off to the butcher shop, and he's going to kill them, and he's going to cut them up and wrap them and send them back to us, and we're going to eat them. They're food, just like the tomatoes or the potatoes or the carrots or, you know, anything else you eat. I said, so, what do you want to name them? And the littlest, littlest one, Mackie, looked at me and she said, well, Dad, in that case, let's call that one bacon, that one ham, and that one sausage. <laughs> Farm kids, got to love it. So anyway, uh, it was absolutely... <laughs> yes, Alan, they are absolutely jet engine loud when they're hungry, and they're always hungry. But, you know, the, the, there's two things you need to know about pigs. You can't chase them very fast. Because they can't cool off. They don't have sweat glands. So even when they get out, you got to take it easy on them because if you run them too hard, they'll, they'll have heat stroke and die. They'll fall over dead. So you can't chase them too hard. But the other thing is, if you have a bucket with, with put, throw, say, a handful of corn in the bottom of it, and you shake that, they can be three miles away, and they will come a-running. And that's the only saving grace because they're very, very easy to lead back. Anyway, so having said that... Uh, I just, I just thought it was kind of a funny story to start with. Excuse me. <coughs> All right, I should also mention, uh, let's see, uh, the phone numbers. Oh, my God, I forgot to give out the phone numbers. Can you believe a talk show host that doesn't give out his phone numbers? Fire the guy. 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. We're going to take our first little break, and when we get back, we'll have more right here on the Nick and Night Show. EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. 
If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Speaking of love and marriage, <clears throat> Jerry Lewis died this week. Now, I don't know why love and marriage made me think of Jerry Lewis. 91 years old. Now, I was never really a Jerry Lewis fan. Um, but I will tell you, he certainly did his share for charity. I think his big charity was muscular dystrophy. If I'm, uh, I may be wrong, but I think that's what it was. And he raised untold millions of dollars for them. And it certainly, you know, you can't fault a guy for that. Uh, I, I I thought his, his humor his humor um, who was this who was he who was this straight man I can see his face Jerry Lewis and uh, Dean Martin Dean Martin was the straight guy and Jerry's humor always seemed to be just a, a little bit too much over the top but at the same time a lot of people loved him there's no doubt about that so it was a loss this week to lose Jerry Lewis and I'm sorry to see I I'm sorry to hear that he was. Uh, you know, uh, well, I guess at 91, it's not like he was, it was a big surprise. I mean, you know, if you were 21 or 31 or 41, that's different. But uh, he had a chance to live a full life, had quite a career, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's a debate raging about whether or not, uh, who who did the Nutty Professor better, Robin Williams or Jerry Lewis? I tend to like Robin Williams because I like Robin Williams' humor better than I like Jerry Lewis, but... You could see they, 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 they were both comic genius, no doubt about it. So sorry to, to see him pass, but, you know, sooner or later, none of us gets off this rock alive, uh, not even Lowell Green. <laughs> hey, Lowell, nice to see you join us. Anyway, um, but it was just, you know, kind of sad to see that. It's another milestone. You know, it's funny because when celebrities die, a lot of people express grief, but I don't think it's the same grief as when you lose a family member. It's more the passing of a uh, milestone, like... When Lucille Ball died, or when Lady Diana, 20 years ago. Hard to believe it's already been 20 years. These You, you never knew them, but they represented some uh, an era in your life. And when they pass, you know that chapter's closed. So it was um, very much a, um, very much a um, uh, same thing here. You know, a bit of sadness because, okay, you know, you, you never like to hear. You, you never rejoice in somebody else's passing. But at the same time, it's also, um, you look back on all the memories that they were able to give you. Like if you ever watched the Lucille Ball show, it was one of the funniest shows. Um, you know, you talk about these, uh, thinking about it, like we were watching, my kids have about three seasons or four seasons of The Muppets, the original Muppet show. And uh, Frank, not, was it Frank Oz? The guy that did Kermit the Frog? Whoever the voice was, he passed away like within 48 hours, a relatively young man got some kind of flu or infection and was gone within 48 hours and they had to find somebody to replace him. Uh, but when you watch those, all these people have brought you these memories over the years and I guess that's the kind of connection that we all have. Boy, everybody's jumping on this pig thing. Going, going. <laughs> yes, well, you go out and own some pigs and then tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. Go buy some pigs and try and keep them penned in. I can tell you what. Lowell Green has an easier time keeping his pigeons in than I do keeping those pigs in. Man, oh man. All right. Anyway, let's get into some more serious stuff. First of all, remember when 
Uh, Lowell, not Lowell. Uh, Stephen Harper was in office, and everybody was screaming at him, screaming at him about how he was always gagging people and they weren't, weren't allowed to speak, and everybody was up in arms because he was killing science, yada, yada, yada. Well, um, it seems that uh, he's got nothing on the latest prime minister. And remember what the motto was for the campaign for the last prime minister. You remember what it was? Transparency, accountability. You know, sometimes I'm getting so sick, absolutely sick, of hearing that phrase coming out of politicians' mouths who you know don't mean it. They just, it's a catchphrase. And you know what? It's one of the reasons why it makes it so hard for so many people to engage politically. Because all they ever get is euphemisms that don't mean anything. If I, as an example, and every party's guilty of this, they'll say, hard-working Ontarian families. It's like every third line. You know something? Everybody works hard. And if we live in Ontario, we, in other words, we don't need to be told over and over and over again that you represent hard-working Canadian families, hard-working Ontario families. It's a clumsy phrase anyway, and you're insulting the intelligence of the audience because you think they've forgotten or you want to drive it home with a sledgehammer. If you're not working for the hardworking people of Ontario, who the hell are you working for? Anyway, so I'm getting down off the track here, but let me come back to this. All right. Now, this comes from an article from the CBC, no less. Uh, da, 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 dated uh, uh, June, June, June 1st. How come I missed this? Okay, well, anyway, it's not all that old. Uh, okay, heavily, this is, a, I'm jumping in about halfway down under the heading gag for life. A heavily redacted memorandum for the clerk of the Privy Council dated December 19th, 2016, shows another 145 Privy Council office, office staffers have been subjected to blanket gag orders under the Security of Information Act since 2014 because of the nature of their roles. These individuals were automatically gagged for life because they work in units that were designated as sensitive and are routinely exposed to secrets, unlike the 94 who were selectively added to the gag list because they are only sometimes given secret information. The Privy Council Office declined to provide more information about the 94, including how many worked in the former Prime Minister, in, in, uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office. Further disclosure of information could lead to security risk potentially placing Canadians at risk. That's called the excuse clause, folks. A separate group of more than 200 Canadian military personnel and federal workers have also been hit with lifetime gag orders since early last year. These individuals all work in the controversial program to replace Canada's jet fighters. The number was elicited by Conservative defense critic James Beeson, 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 through a, formal House Commons, through a formal House of Commons procedure that requires a minister to answer an MP's question, insiders call the gag order an extraordinary and unnecessary measure. So let me just read this last paragraph and I'll, I'll jump back out of the article here. Of the 235 staffers disclosed to Bazan, 121 work for National Defense and 13 work for the Privy Council office. It's not clear whether any of the 13 at the Privy Council also were connected to, in, counted in the clerk's memo. In other words, uh, Justin Trudeau, for all his claims of um, transparency and uh, uh, accountability, is busy slapping the gag on people that he doesn't, who are working in his office. Now, look, 
even in the world of the military, they already have. That's what security clearances is for. When I was in the military, I had a secret security clearance. Okay, now there's different levels of security clearances. And you have, uh, you have, uh, you know, there's secret, just to walk on a ship, okay, uh, you had to have secret. Now there was uh, different levels of secret up to NATO top secret. You have secret top secret, NATO top secret. And it just kept going up the ladder as the sensitivity of the information you were working with got more, you know, uh, the sensitivity got higher. In other words, on board, I didn't have enough clearance to walk into the communications control room. I was never allowed to go in there. Actually, that's not true. I went in there once to make a radio phone call. Okay, and that was monitored. Because my wife was a asked me, well, we were at sea, and this is long before the internet or satellite or any of that stuff. Uh, yes, the ships were still made of wood in those days. Not quite. Uh, but I was on the phone <laughs> Oh, excuse me. That caught me by surprise. Uh, I was on the, on a radio phone, and she said, where are you? And before I got a chance to say, I can't tell you that, a voice came out of nowhere and said, he can't tell you that. So obviously I was being listened to. But anyway, the, the point is, that's the only time, and even then they had everything, all the drapes drawn around all this high-tech 1940s technology that I wasn't supposed to know about. Okay, come in mind, the, the ship was built in 53, so the technology wasn't much newer than that. Anyway, so there was all kinds of security levels. So this gag order, to get back to the story, makes no sense within the military circles because you already have levels of security in place to deal with the sensitivity of the information that they're, that they're working with. Like if you have, let's say Canada, and I know we do have some of them, but let's say Canada want to use drones to patrol the north, which isn't necessarily a bad idea, all right? Because a drone's cheap by comparison to an F-18 or an F whatever we end up with, um, you know, it's not like you have to put a pilot and, and spend fifteen hundred dollars an hour flying this thing around to maintain our sovereignty in the north. These things are ten, twenty thousand dollars a copy. You can launch them from remote locations. They can do the same work. Blah blah blah. Okay, but so there's still a lot of sensitive information in that, and the security level would match that position. Okay, or if you're working in high-end research in, in the defense field, you're going to have a different security level than poor, some poor slob working in a boiler room like me. So you don't need this gag order. So the only reason that makes any sense when you think about it is the fact that you have people working in the Privy, in the Privy Council, or in, in the PMO, I should say, that the Prime Minister doesn't want talking when, they're le when they leave. He, he's What he's doing, he's protecting himself from things that they know that you don't want, that he doesn't want you to know. That's the, what I take away from this story. I would love to admit I'm wrong. I would love to find out I'm wrong, that this really is about national security. But I don't believe that for a second. I really, really don't. Because that's not the way this government operates. The only thing that matters to these guys is raising Justin Trudeau's profile. Why do you think he's walking in gay pride today? Gay Pride in, in uh, Ottawa this week. Why do you think he walked? Why do you think he goes anywhere? Selfies, you know, photo bombing web weddings. It's all about him. It's and yet when he's on the world stage, he gets ignored. He's a boy king. He's like a twelve-year-old with the keys to his daddy's Ferrari. And daddy was foolish enough to give it to him. Guess who the daddies are? And generally speaking, it's the voter, of course. So the, the point I'm making is that it's got nothing to do 
with national security. It's got nothing to do. At least that's my opinion. You're free to tell me otherwise if you want to. You can call at 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. You can give me a call and we can discuss that. Because, <coughs> excuse me, this is serious stuff. Why would he slap? Because of the penalty, if you break this, okay, is 14 years in prison. 14 years. Now, in the Canadian law system, the legal system, that would probably mean you'd serve about five. But that's not the point. Why would you send uh, high-level bureaucrats to prison for talking about the work they did that isn't national security issue related? Like, you're not talking about spy satellite technology here. You're talking about the way the prime minister ran his office. So unless you've got something to hide... Why would you slap them with a gag order? So, again, it's more of the same kind of stuff. All right, now, there is another story in here. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, doo -doo -doo, where are you? Yeah, okay, dump that one. Uh, dump that, stop that. I'm getting a buzzing in my headphones, driving me crazy. All right, oh, yeah. Will somebody explain to me why this is even in the news? Uh, according to the headline um, for today out of the Toronto Sun, apparently, get this. Now, I the same thing happened with SARS and the same thing happened with a lot of other things that I just don't understand why people went over the top, okay? Uh, here's the headline. West Nile epidemic imminent in Ontario, according to researchers. Now, when you read through the article, okay, they're afraid two people, two, two, out of a province with 11 million people in it, might die. Who are the people at risk? People over 65, children, pregnant mothers, uh, people like that. People who have either uh, are very young, very old, or depressed uh, autoimmune systems. Okay, the same group that's a, that is exposed to uh, all kinds of other diseases. That's usually the kind of people that most diseases pick on because their their defenses, their biological defenses, are not as strong as they otherwise would be. That's why young people don't like tw between uh, let's say twenty and forty, they don't get sick very often because they're in the prime of their life, their body's working right the way it's supposed to, and guess what? They don't get ill that often. So I went and I decided, well, let's compare that then to how many people die from the flu. And what was there? Because we all hear about the flu shot, right? Everybody, there's a big controversy. Get the flu shot. Get the flu shot. Okay, fine. Get the flu shot. But remember, there was supposed to be, they're worried that two people might die from, from uh, West Nile. Okay, this is from, let's see, Global News. And it's dated last year, March 4th, 2016. Okay, so that's the date on the story. It's the most recent thing I could find. All right, some, the sometimes double-digit warm weather may be partly responsible for a mild flu season so far this year, but influenza cases are now on the uptick in Ontario, and is, it's not a, we're not out of the woods yet, a top public health official said. Figures released Friday by Public Health Ontario show 3,401 confirmed influenza cases and 12 deaths at this point in 2015-16 flu season. Those numbers are a fraction of the numbers from the 10,000 10, cases and 211 deaths in the same period last year. So, we go from the story, uh, where did it go, where the, 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 um, uh, the threat is imminent. Absolutely imminent. Oh, my God. 
we're in trouble. We are, you know, we're all going to die of uh, of uh, West Nile virus. Here, oh yeah, here's the headline: West Nile epidemic. We have this imminent epidemic where two people might die. But a few years ago, we lost 211, and nobody used the word epidemic. Why is this a story? Was it that slow a news day? You know, and the reason why I rail about this is because this kind of stuff scares the crap out of people and they lose touch with the ground. They simply can't seem to get it through their head that these things, you know what? It's like a matter, if you put it into context, half, the, remember, 90% of the things you worry about never happen. 90% of the time, nothing bad ever happens. The 10%, okay, then you got to take it seriously. I'm not saying you should throw all health concerns out the window, but I'm saying keep them in proportion to the risk. Does that make sense? Like, look, if, if I want to walk down the middle of a road, okay, there's a certain amount of risk that goes with that. But if I take a few, you know, reasonable precautions, like walk on the shoulder, you know, face traffic, wear some high-vis clothing, my risk of, of running in trouble drops dramatically. But what did I do that was over the top? Did I ring the bell? Did I go running and screaming that, oh my God, somebody might get hit on the road? No. And it's the same thing here. I'm tired of, of news agencies feeding public fear when there is nothing to be afraid of. Should you be concerned? Should you put on insect repellent if you're worried about it? Yeah, sure. There's You can use natural stuff if you want to. You can use, uh, you know, uh, chemicals, uh, the, the commercially available. I like muscal myself. Muscal, deep woods off, that kind of stuff. I mean, just bring it on, man. And uh, we've been really lucky with mosquitoes and, and stuff this year. It hasn't been too bad. We didn't get almost, almost any black flies. But the noceums were crazy. Anyway, so it's all, it's all on how you handle it. Like, I've never understood irrational fear. And people go bananas or crazy over... Uh, now, I notice a lot of people have uh, irrational fears about things like spiders. Okay, they really do. And I have no idea why. You are many, many, many times bigger than a spider, and yet people stand on chairs to get away from them. I just don't understand it. Uh, we have a call, so let's take that call right now. Hello, welcome to the Nick Night Show. Who am I talking to? It's Francine. Hi, Francine. How are you? Is this Nick? Oh, God, I hope so. Good, Nick. How voice. are you? Great. How are you? Good. I, I used to listen to you on CFRA. You want to say hi to my daughter, Isabel? Say Hello. hi, Isabel. Hello, Isabel. Uh, you know Nick. <laughs> yeah, she's a little shy. Well, you anyway, tell no, I, I was on Facebook, but I kind of lost you there. Um, I lost the video, but uh, I just I just popped it open, and I noticed that you were on, and uh, I think your show is going to do great there because I'm... Um, I'm noticing you're getting a lot of responses and that sort of yeah. thing. And um, I, I try to keep up to it. And, once, and look, there's a lot of people who say hello. I, I, I just try to, if I get a chance, I'll type something in and say hello. Or, you know, if I see somebody like, I notice a Rick Shirelli, the Count City. Oh, my God. Well, I'm noticing people are responding. Uh, yeah. So I think, is, is it, are you doing this on a regular basis? Or? Wednesday night, same time, same place. Okay. Every... Uh, Every uh, every Wednesday, then? Yeah, from 9 until 11. Okay, well, that's good to know. And uh, Anyway, I just wanted to say hello, and uh, it's nice to hear your voice there, and oh, uh, I enjoy your topics tonight. Uh, well, there's nothing specific that I want to really talk about. But, all right, uh, well, listen. Thanks anyway, for poor piggies. 
Don't, don't feel sorry for the piggies. Feel sorry for the people. I don't want to farm. I don't want to farm because I, I love them when they're small, but I, I probably have a hard time. My, my kids would get too close to them that we'd have a hard time it killing all, them. You know what? It all depends on how you handle it. And I'm being deadly serious now. Uh, it all depends on the way you frame the way the kids look at the look at the animals. It's not like you're talking about Ted, right. Tommy the tortoise in the in the fish tank upstairs, okay? Or like uh, Barf the yeah. Biff the dog, okay? They're diff- that's different. Those are pets, and you love them, and you take care of them, you take care of all your animals. But I mean, you know, you lavish that on them. But pigs, cows, uh, you know, chickens, sheep, that kind of stuff. Those are livestock, and those have specific purposes. Yeah. And that is either to provide... They have to, the, the kids have to learn at a certain time, it's time to... Go. Don't even name them. Yeah, you know <laughs> I what? think don't even name them. And well, speaking of farm animals, I'm going to Capitol Fair with my daughter tomorrow there. Oh, yeah. But it's unfortunate that they're not at Lansdowne anymore. It's like at Rideau Carlton Raceway. Yeah, yeah. So I I'll be taking my daughter there. I don't know if you've taken your, your kids there. I know you've got a gang of kids. Well, you know what, for us... Um, but I'm taking my daughter there tomorrow there for the for fair us, there. It's kind of nice to have the fairs just before she starts school. Oh, yeah. But for us, a fair is just walk out She the actually yard. starts next Tuesday, eh? She doesn't start in September. My daughter's in French Catholic. Oh, yeah. So she starts next week. Okay. Well, listen, I want to... So we're thank- getting prepared. We're getting prepared for school and all that. But um, I just wanted to say hi and uh, good luck with the show. Well, thank you, Francine. I appreciate the call. Call anytime. Okay, thank you. you. Have a good night now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See? You can't call. That didn't even hurt. No, for us, when we have fairs, that that's funny. There's the Renfrew Fair and there's Shawville Fair. And there's, you know, even Killaloo has a little thing they call a fair. It's more of a, of a um, it's not really a fair in the traditional sense. The, uh, just I'm not even sure really what it is. I've never been to it. But um, a festival might be a better way to put it. But for us, a fair is just walk outside and there's all the animals. You want a petting zoo, man, we got them all. Um, but uh, I, I enjoy when I get a chance. We, we usually go to the Shawville Fair. And uh, one year I think they had the steam engines there and it was a lot of fun to watch. So if you get a chance to go out to the agricultural fairs, by all means do it. Because especially if uh, that's outside your normal circle. Like if you're a, a, a city dweller or a suburbanite, or somebody like that, and there's a bit of a separation between you and the rural countryside, go and take your kids and teach them. Show them. Let the people there educate them on, you know, how their food gets to their table. Because one of the biggest... (laughs) Now, some kids, especially in today's world, have a hard time adjusting to that fact. They think meat comes out of... is you know, lays on that styrofoam plate and is saran wrapped. And that's how, that's just meat. They they don't associate that with a cow that used to walk around in the field, right? They don't realize that a cow went to a slaughterhouse and got turned into that piece of meat. That's only one tiny little part of the whole animal. So it's a good, it's a good experience, a good learning experience and life lesson about the realities of life. And it helps uh, prepare them a little bit for what life's like. Now, Back to uh, some other stuff here. Let's see what else we got on tap. Okay. Uh, Oh, yes. Okay, we just did that one. I'm noticing a trend here. I'm going to read three headlines, and then I'm going to talk about it. Police commit to Calgary Pride March in plain clothes after ban on uniforms. Reaction mixed to Ottawa Police Chief's decision not to wear a uniform at Pride. And where did the third one go? There's three stories I had. 
The third one was about Toronto and how they banned the police from the top, from the uh, uh, parade altogether. They didn't want the police in the parade at all in uniform. They were good enough to provide security, like they wanted the police there in case somebody got rowdy and out of hand. That's okay, and they were in uniform for that. But don't you dare, don't you dare walk down the street in your uniform amongst pride. You know what? The point I want to make with this is this, I don't think, has anything to do with pride. And I don't care what you think of the gay pride parade itself. I don't care. You know, that cow has been beaten to a pulp. Okay, or that's the that that conversation's been had a thousand times, and I don't want to go down that road again. I personally don't go. I'm not saying they shouldn't have the parade. I think if I was a public official, like a police chief or a prime minister or premier, I would just stay away, or a mayor, I would just stay away. Let them have their let them have their parade. Just as as Sean McKenney told people out west, I'm busy that day. And just, I think that's the right tack to take. If you if you feel uncomfortable with it, you don't need to make a scene. You don't need to get upset. You don't need to cause a firestorm. Just stay home. That's the easiest answer. And I don't know why more people don't do it. But anyway, the theme is here. There is something. It, this is this isn't just. This is. I mean, let's face it. Gay pride has always been political. Okay, it's always been political. Like. The, th- the, the one that really bothers me is Chief Bortolo. You know, uh, why he changed his mind, I have no idea. I, well, I know why he did it. I just don't think it's a very good reason. Okay, I think he should have said, no, we're the police, and we are going to, if, if we're going to be included, we'll be in our uniforms. Because I am not pandering to people who are going to tell me that my presence makes them uncomfortable. As a cop... I understand that already. There are some people who are going to naturally feel uncomfortable when a policeman's around. Maybe they have a guilty conscience. And remember something. The other thing, I want to get into a little bit more on this whole hate thing in a second here, but the thing, the thing that's bothering me about this is that we have this trend in the last year or so, ever since Black Lives Matter popped up on the scene, this on, ongoing attack against... Uh, security forces, specifically the police. They've been trying to undermine the credibility of the police. They've been trying to, in some cases, physically attacking and killing them. And basically, it's been open season on police officers in the the United States uh, in a lot of cases. And now we're seeing this, yeah, we don't like cops, so we don't want them around unless we set the terms. Because if you understand inclusivity from a legal point of view, from a law enforcement point of view, there's no more organization on the planet that is more inclusive than the police because they include everybody. That means gay, straight. That means white, black. That means green, yellow. That means I don't care what what parameter you want to put it in. Their only concern should be, and this is what Chief Bordelow should have told them, say, look, we are inclusive. As long as you obey the law, you have nothing to worry about from us. But if you break the law and we catch you, we will arrest you. We will take you to the courthouse. We will take you to the, we will, you will be fingerprinted. You will go through the machinery of standing before a judge and you will explain yourself to that judge. And if he's not happy and he finds you guilty, you will go to jail. That's how inclusive we are because we don't care who you are. We don't care what you are. 
All we care about is the fact that Lady Justice is blind to everything except the law. We don't care if you're a high-priced lawyer or a street smuggler or a street or you know a street person. The law applies to us all. And you know, for those who hate cops, and I've run into a bunch of them, certainly on Facebook, who can't stand, oh, the police got special treatment. You know, there was at least three stories in the news, if not today, then today and yesterday, about police officers being hauled up in front of the courts for everything from smuggling drugs to to um, abuses of power, different things like that. So you can't tell me they don't get a ha held accountable too. The system works just fine when we work it. And that's what we need to deal That's why... I, if I, and again, I'll never be chief of police, not only because they don't have the right training, but because my political views are so un, are unpolitically uh, correct that they would, even if I was a cop, they would never make me anything more than a glorified meter maid. Um, but if I was, that's the answer I would give anyone who said, we want you there, but don't wear a uniform. If I'm there in official capacity, I'm coming in my uniform. If it's a golf tournament and I'm in my own time and I'm raising money for a cause, all right, I'll show up in my golfing outfit. But if you want me there as the chief as the chief of police, I will be in uniform. So don't even bother asking me not to show up. Because that's the kind of thing that gets people in trouble. That's the kind of thing that causes... It, think about it. If you're... Because I think there's a lot of Black Lives Matter influence in these parades. I think that's where this comes from. So if Chief Bortolo backs down like he did... That only empowers them. Oh, boy, we got away with that one. What can, what can we get away with next year? Because they never, they never stop. It's never enough, right? They, well, just give us this much. It's, it's like sitting on a park bench, okay? This is how incrementalism works. You're sitting on a park bench, minding your own business, and somebody comes and sits down next to you. So let's say you're sitting there. I come down, I sit down just a little too close. Well, you don't want to be rude and say, hey, buddy. You know, slide over. Give me a little elbow room. You might shift a little bit to the left and slide yourself down the bench a little bit. A few seconds later, I kind of just snuggle over a little bit more. Just, just, just enough. Not enough to touch you, but just, I get into your space, into your bubble. And you shift over. And if I keep that up, you're on the ground, I got the bench. That's what I wanted in the first place was the bench. But I was smart enough not to come, not to come over and just jerk you off off the bench and throw you on the ground and take the bench because then it might get violent. Although in these days, that doesn't seem to slow them down either. All right, so anyway, there, this I think there's a lot here in those three stories. Uh, with, in the city of Calgary, oh, here it is. Oh, Toronto, yeah, here's a story out of Toronto. Uh, there was a big debate in City Hall. Now, understand this. Here, let me, let me give you this paragraph. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, the counselor's name is Kristen Wong, Wong Tam. Councillor Kristen Wong Tam, whose ward hosts the annual festivities, pointed out that the city, to, that city staff and its legal department have recommended fund, the funding shouldn't be taken away. Taken away. Even without the money, she said, we're going to continue to march. Okay, if that's true, then take away the money. If you're going to do it anyway, you obviously don't need the money. Like, how simple does it have to be? If you don't want our police there, but you do want our money, then you're either going to take the police and the money or you're not getting either. It's a matter, the Americans have a phrase for it. It's called playing hardball. You know, don't give me these lob pitches and, you know, softball crap. 
You want you want something? Let's play hardball for it. And this, that was about as uh, 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 fuzzy thinking as I think uh, I've seen in a long time. If you if they don't need the money, fine, save yourself two hundred and forty thousand dollars because that's what they gave them, two hundred uh, uh, just about a quarter of a million dollars to fund a, pre a parade. I wonder how much they gave the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade or the Santa Claus parade. Maybe they did. I don't know. I'm just posing questions. They very well could have given those, those organizations, the organizers, money for that. I just don't know that that's true. But when they're going to do it anyway, if you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, then do. Take the money and say, screw it. You don't need it anyway. And we have taxpayers to think about. Simple. Not popular, but who cares? Oh, I forgot. She wants to get reelected. How silly of me. All right, we need to take a little break. When we come back, we'll have more on the Naked Night Show right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, <coughs> Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Okay, let's just hit that. There we go. I can turn that back up. There we are, and I won't forget it later. All right. So what do you think? Am I off my rocker, or does this make sense? 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Let me hear from you about uh, this topic, about about this whole, um, the, let's call it the BM, BLM influence on uh, the Gay Pride Parade. Like I said, I'm not interested in debating the parade. That's not the point. That, that's been done. That's ancient history. And uh, like it or not, it's a fact of life. So uh, I'm not going to bother with that. But what, it, um, what does bother me is this trend, this ongoing trend of undermining the authority of the police and uh, taking away, uh, making them look less than, uh, and, like... <laughs> I'm going to move on to another topic. It's a little bit related, but the, what people forget is we have literally hundreds of thousands of police in Canada, and they interact with the, with the public millions of times every day. Sometimes it's traffic stops. Sometimes it's uh, foot patrols. Sometimes it's going into schools. Sometimes it's, you know, providing assistance at an accident traffic control, they do a whole wide range of things. Investigative stuff, going after the bad guys. 
you know, uh, looking for murderers and pedophiles and stuff like that. So what I want to know, uh, what, what I'm driving, what I'm driving at though, is I think that there is, uh, an, an ongoing attack against the men and women who, who keep us safe at night, uh, from the criminal element. They play a similar role, not the same, but a similar role as the military does, just in a different theater. And I don't really feel very comfortable with having organizations trashing the police force because, let's face it, the police forces are the ones, these guys, these bozos, who go out there and do this kind of stuff. They're the first one they call when things go south for them. You know, and these cops, they do great work. I know several policemen, and believe me, by no means is that the totality of everything, but let's put it this way. All the cops I've known, okay, have been decent, solid people. I used to know that, well, he lives in Nova Scotia now, but uh, Staff Sergeant Jim uh, Graham from Killaloo was a great guy. And I would go in, he was, actually, he was my very first interview uh, in my radio career when I was still out at CHCR out in Killaloo. I went in to talk about what it was like to be a staff sergeant in a in a little you know in a backwater um, police station out in the middle of nowhere in uh, in the Ottawa Valley, and he was gracious. He was just I really liked the guy. And we got to know each other on a personal level, and um, when if I ever get back to the East Coast, I will certainly be dropping in to see him and his wife Stephanie. Just wonderful people, just fantastic people. I I just have the world respect for them. And I've known them in Nova Scotia. I've, I've known a few more here in Ontario. It's just like I don't know tons of them, but you know what? The ones I do know are great people. And I have a sense that's the way most of them are. And I'm getting mighty tired of cop bashers. So with that said, uh, let me, uh, I want to expand on a topic that's uh, been bothering me for a while. I have never. I don't have any story for it. I don't have any anything written down. But this. Have you noticed this? Lately, it's been all about this whole. We gotta stop hate. We gotta stop. You know, everything's all about hate. Well, are you a hateful person? I'm not. I'm a big old fuzzy teddy bear. I love to laugh. I love to have fun. Uh, you know, I. I don't like to work hard, but I do it anyway sometimes, when I don't have any choice. But the bottom line, I, I, I enjoy life. And I think most people fall into that category. It always seems to me that the people who want to stop hate, who this it's the same thing as tolerant people, you know. The people who preach tolerance the most are usually the least tolerant of all. And it's the same thing with this, that you have this societal thing. I can't even really come up with a phrase for it. But the whole idea is we got to put an end to hate. Well, good luck with that because that's been with us since we crawled out of the, since we got kicked out of the garden or crawled out of the swamp or whatever you believe in, you know, from before recorded history. Hatred has been with us. What makes you think we're going to stop it now? Human beings are flawed. All of them are flawed. Every single one. Nobody's perfect. Not by a long shot. So, in that kind of with that as a, as as a backdrop, how do you expect people to be able to always control their emotions, 
always say just the right things, never say anything out of line, untoward or off color or, you know, that's all part of the human experience. Because it doesn't matter, first of all, if people really are hateful on purpose because they're angry and they just want to hurt other people around them, we have laws for that. It's called, first of all, we have hate crimes, hate crime laws. We have libel. We have slander. And we also have something called a callus and thick skin, or at least it would be good to have those things. So that when somebody does say something stupid or insulting, who doesn't know you from a hole in the wall, like what Facebook is famous for, let it roll off your back. Let it go. Get over it. There's no reason to get upset about it. They don't know you anyway. You know, it's like somebody getting upset. Well, that was a terrible thing to say. Well, who is he? Well, some guy on Facebook. So what? Well, what do you mean? He hurt my feelings. Well, welcome to planet Earth. You think if that's the only, if that's all it takes to get to you, then you got no business on social media. I learned that a long time ago. When I first stepped into the radio, radio business, believe me, you learn fast not to let people, not to let the things that people say that are hurtful and spiteful and hateful uh, about you get to you. Now, there's a difference. Keep in mind, there is a difference between being hateful and being libelous and being slanderous. When somebody attacks your character in such a way that it damages your ability to provide for your provide a living, or do make make you know, uh, might threaten your job or might uh, impact your ability to earn an income, that's criminal. That's against the law. So if they're going to make those kinds of charges, they had better have a lot of proof to go with it, and they better make those charges in a court of law, not on the not in the public square. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So this whole hate thing, I think, is artificial. I think a lot of it is puffed up in order to put forward this agenda, to disguise what's really going on, this attack on our culture. Like this whole thing out of Charlottesville, North Virginia. I've been doing a lot of reading and watching about that. And that was all left-wing protesters. That was all garbage. There, as a matter of fact, I've got a, a, a piece here. If I can find it, uh, it's written in the Globe and Mail. Where's the tab? ESPN. No, no. Oh, here it is. Okay, now, first, excuse me. <coughs> first of all, I got. I when I posted this, I asked the same question. How much credibility should we give the opinion of a 13-year-old? Remember, 10 years ago, she was three. So she doesn't know, and I mean this with no disrespect, but she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know anything. So at 13, she was, you know, 10 years away from three. What do you know at three? Like at 10, year, 10 years ago, I was 45. I'm an old man. But what it does give me that she doesn't have is perspective and a little bit longer view of things. And she, she writes this, and for the sake of the discussion... I'm going, to, I'm going to assume she wrote this, okay? There's been some debate on, in, um, on Facebook about whether she wrote it or not. I'm going to assume that she did. I'm going to give her the credit, of, uh, benefit of the doubt because I know kids about this age who actually do, uh, would be able to write something like this. Now, would it be as well thought out? And would it be, I think there may have been some help from somebody with editing and things like that. And maybe she, it's, so I'm just going to give her the benefit of the doubt is what I'm trying to say. 
Okay, so she lives out in Seattle. She claims she lives in a bu- bubble, and she work. She's involved with a school. Uh, she's on. She's a, on a on American Canadian or Canadian American dual citizen. Okay, and she lives out. In, uh, she go, attends a school. She really loves it. Uh, she talks about the diversity in the school and all the different uh, groups that are there: black, brown, Asian, white, gay, straight, Muslim, Jewish, all that stuff. And she says, she says this: Seattle is recognized as largely liberal, and is and is a fast expanding, wealthy city thanks to companies like Amazon, Starbucks, and Microsoft. Because of this privileged and somewhat sheltered environment, privileged. Where did she get that idea? It's not privileged. Maybe it's maybe her lifestyle is a product of her parents' hard work, and there's nothing privileged about it. Maybe they earned it. So that's one of the things I have a problem with. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's see. I've certainly okay. Uh, skipping down a little further, I've certainly been aware of a distant struggle going on between rising white supremacy groups and those who oppose neo-Nazism and racial bigotry. But I always believe those protests and counter-protests to be disconnected from my life. But with the recent protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, this matter is suddenly unequivocally staring me in the face because while I am white, I'm also half Jewish. You know something? Why does it matter? This is the other question I would ask her. Why does it matter whether you're white or you're black or you're yellow or you're green or you're Jewish or you're Muslim or you're Christian or you're Protestant or you're this or that? Who cares? Who put it into your head that that matters? See, this is what's wrong with, the, with somebody who's 13 having an opinion. She's not coming up with an opinion of her own. It's been fed to her. Now, parents, this is, before you, you say, oh, well, I thought you believed in teaching your kids your values. Absolutely I do. And that was where I'm going next. Parents have the right to feed in information into their children so they can develop a belief system that, Mirror, if not exactly mirrors, but at least resembles theirs. That's how you pass values on from one generation to another. Okay, like my kids are not carbon copies of me. All right? Uh, they have a lot of the same values that I have for obvious reasons, but they see the world through their own set of lenses. And sometimes we disagree. All right, anyway. I digress. When I saw a video of white men marching across the University of Virginia campus where my Jewish father studied to become a First Amendment lawyer, carrying torches and yelling, Jews will not replace us, and horrid chants about black people, my bubble burst. These men, I realized, have a deep, burning hatred for black people and Jewish people and anyone else that might endanger their perfect ethnic cleansed America, and that meant me. Okay, well, the group she's talking about is not, uh, are, are the very kinds of people that are educating her. They're, when you hear about people who... Who is it? Let me rephrase this. Who is it that worries about skin color, ethnicity, uh, you know, um, social standing, uh, all this kind of stuff? It's the left. It's the progressives that believe it. Those are the people that go on and actually get all worked up. That's why we call them snowflakes, because they can't handle the real world. Okay, conservatives care about one thing. And this is how I know these neo-Nazis types and the white supremacists are on the left, not the right, because they care about exactly the same thing the left cares about. Color, uh, race, religion, or lack of it. Okay, all these things that conservatives don't care about. The only thing that conservatives care about 
is good old-fashioned merit. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you sleep with. It does not matter. What matters is who is the best person for the position. That's who gets it. And if they're black, great. If they're white, great. If they're male, great. If they're female, great. If they're Muslim, Jewish, who cares? That's the whole point behind conservatism. We are outcome, um, what's the word? We care about un outcomes, not, we care about opportunities. That's the way I want to put this. We care about opportunities, equal opportunities, not equal outcomes. And that's what she doesn't get. Now, to counter that, and, it, and explain, because when I, uh, when I uh, was thinking about this, I was explaining it to my daughter. She, she was asking me about it, and I said, look, this is a, a very narrow pockets. If you watch the news, CNN, this kind of stuff, you're going to see a lot of nonsense out there, and you're going to think the whole country's in flames. But it's not. Absolutely it's not. There's literally tens of millions of Americans down there going about their daily business, doing whatever it is they do for a living, and none of it has anything to do with them. They don't agree with it. They don't have anything to do with it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's not that they don't get involved. Now, this I copied and pasted from somebody, and I would tell you who it is, but I can't remember. I took it earlier today because I thought it was so well written. So let me share this with you as a counter to the young girl's um, uh, editorial, which you can read on my blog or you can go to the Global Mail and read it. Uh, read all of it. Um, I, I posted the link and the story there so you can get to make sure that I get the context right. All right. So this is from a Facebook friend. Um, and I apologize, I should have taken the name with it because now I can't remember where I got it. But if you're on Facebook, you'll recognize it. And if it's yours, then if it's yours, then congratulations, it's well written. I just got back from a week's vacation in the Deep South, Charleston, South Carolina. A Toronto friend who watches and reads Canadian mainstream media asked me last night with a concerned look on his face, how was the mood in the streets there? I told him the truth. There was no mood in the street. It was as normal as can be. There was no tension anywhere. There are monuments and plaques and historical sites dedicated to slavery, the Confederacy, and the Civil War everywhere. But no one was trying to tear anything down or disrupt anything. Yeah, let me scroll up a little bit. There were white families enjoying the beach, and black families enjoying the beach, and Indian families enjoying the beach, and mixed families enjoying everything, and everyone existed in harmony. The only type of segregation I noticed was at the landscaping business. Every landscaping crew was Hispanic men. We went to the most famous fried chicken shack restaurant on the outskirts of town, full of Obama memorabilia on the walls. Let me scroll up a little bit. The servers serenaded every table and showered every guest with love, regardless of skin color, not dependent on anyone's political opinion. We went to a 19th century plantation and learned alongside other visitors, both black and white, that life, what life was like for both slaves and slave owners in the antebellum period and about the Gullah culture that developed and flourished in the low country among West Africans who were freed by Lincoln's victory in the war. We went to Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, where the first shots were fired in the war over slavery, and learned the story of Robert Smalls, the black slave who commandeered a Confederate boat, snuck it through the blockade, and delivered it to the Union Navy, then became a ship commander in the attack on Sumter two years later, and after the war became one of the first black congressmen in American history elected by his Charleston peers. Then I got to the airport to come home, and I learned through forced CNN exposure that America is divided and teetering in crisis. I don't blame my friend or anyone else for having the wrong impression. 
When you watch TV, you are not watching reality. You're watching a distortion of it. So whoever wrote that, well written. Because that's the way I imagined it was. I, and I know many of you have already heard me talk about this before, but I spent a lot. I spent 10 years driving in the United States while I was a driving a big truck. And I got to know a lot of Americans. And you know what the biggest difference is between us and them? They're not smart enough to like hockey more than they like football. That's about it. And they talk with a, especially down south, boy, they talk with a funny little accent. They think we all crazy up here because we live up here with the polar bears. We love, live up here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 in the igloo. Yeah, that's, that, that's the way that is down there. Anyway, uh, you spend too much time down there, you begin to think like that too. But the point I'm making is the Americans are no different than we are, not when it comes to this stuff. Canada is not being racially torn apart, neither is the United States. But there are agents provocateur going around trying to make it look that way. And you know the other thing about this that I cannot understand is why anybody watches CNN anymore. And with that, I need to take my top-of-the-hour break because I was supposed to do that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> All right, so I'll take a, a couple-minute break. I'll go refresh my, my uh, beverage, and we'll be back with more right after this. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at late or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at late the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible 
feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. Well, I was on a roll. I didn't even notice what time it was. So you guys have that influence on me, I guess. Uh, let's see. Okay. All right. Now, by the way, I should mention that piece that I just read was written by, if I can find the right uh, spot, I hear it is, by Neil Flagg. So, Neil, thank you. You did a great job writing that. It was easy to read. And believe me, that matters, <laughs> especially in my case. So uh, thank you for that. It was very well thought out. That's what I really liked about it. It was just, you just made it plain that everybody, that not everybody down there is a raving lunatic. Um, you know, they're, they're, most of them just want to get through their everyday experience and not have any hassles. And they have their own uh, own ways of dealing with, thing, dealing with things. And it's not the chaos that a lot of people think that it is. Okay, let's change topics. Uh, remember, uh, let's see, when Stephen Harper wanted to bring in mandatory sentencing, right? And the left had a cow, and they all went nuts. And said, oh, that's, you can't have that. Take away discretion, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. The headline is, Superior Court Judge Strikes Down Mandatory Minimum Sentence for Sexually Exploiting a Child. Now, Short of murder, I can't think of a more egregious sin than exploiting a child for your own base carnal desires. I'm sorry. I just have absolutely zero patience, tolerance, or ability to deal with people um, who are involved in that. It's just... I. I Never mind minimum sentences. They should go away for the rest of their lives. That's my attitude. Now, there are those who are going to say, oh, that's too harsh. Really? What if it was your daughter they were messing with? What if it was your young son? You know, how would you feel about it? See, everybody passes judgment, but they never stop to think about what it is that they're passing judgment on. And how would they react if it was them involved? So, the maximum sentence. Well, let me just read this to you. A superior court judge struck down the mandatory minimum sentence. One year in prison. Remember what I just said. You think that one year... They, they're saying it's unconstitutional. I'm saying baloney. I'm saying if I'm the prime minister, and I will never be the prime minister, I would take this all the way to the Supreme Court. And even if the Supreme Court threw it down... I would pull the trigger on the notwithstanding clause and I would keep pulling it until we got a law worked out that they couldn't make sure it was constitutional because these kind of retrobates deserve to spend the rest of their lives in jail. Pedophiles, child molesters, people like that who take advantage of the most innocent among us have no place in our society. Absolutely none. And there's no excuse that I can think of that makes this, that, that allows for this. I mean... If they're really, if it, if you want to call it a, a mental disorder, fine. Put them in a in a, in, in a in a jail that has some kind of clinical help. If it, because from what I understand, the recidivism rate for people like this is like ninety seven percent. It's through the roof. 
I don't believe in, in uncurability. But I think it comes awfully close in this case. I have absolutely, and I don't want to risk anybody else's child when it comes to this stuff. Like, why should it be unconstitutional? Why should it be against the law? Why would any government be satisfied with a superior, not even the Supreme Court, but the Ontario Superior Court saying this law is unconstitutional? Well, then guess what? We're going to keep imposing it until the Supreme Court tells us that it's constitutional. And if they say it's unconstitutional, we are going to pull the trigger on the notwithstanding clause. And we're going to rewrite the law. And we're going to make it pass the constitutional smell test. And until it does, we're going to keep this on the books. And you will send these people to jail for at least, I can't, you know, a year. Holy crap. You ruin, you, you scar a child for life. And the worst they get is a year. Am I the only one that's going, like, like, I'm I'm trying to control my temper. But when it comes to the innocence of children, there is no, it, how do you control that? How do you, there's just, it's so frustrating. It's, you know, look, like him or hate him, Stephen Harper did some stuff well, and that was one of them. And then to have some activist judge come along and throw it down because, oh, we can't have that. Oh, God, no, that's unconstitutional. Funny. That's You know how selectively that's applied? How many times do people write, people's rights get trampled on? And whether it's constitutional or not, take a simple example, a very simple, I'm not putting it on the same moral scale at all. But how many people pay a tipping fee or a per bag fee when they take the garbage to the dump? How many people pay a tax on a tax at the gas pump? Anybody who drives does. Guess what? That, my friends, is unconstitutional. So is paying an extra, like in, in my uh, in my neck of the woods in Killer Haggerty Richards, we pay $2 a bag to dump our garbage. But we're already paying taxes to have the garbage taken that dealt with. That's what our property taxes are for. <coughs> So why are we paying an extra tax? You know, why are we worried about the constitutionality in this case, but all these other cases? Now, like I said, I'm not putting them on the same moral level as you would have uh, in the case of a pedophile. Okay? Because in the case of a garbage bag, yes, it's unconstitutional, but nobody's going to jail. So that's what I mean. I'm not putting them on the same... On the same, um, I'm not giving them the same weight, but I'm saying if you're worried about unconstitutionality, there's plenty of other places you can look. And if you're really going to apply the unconstitutionality law or the logic, then I'll bet you about 60 or 70% of our laws fail. Now, I'm not against having people check for ride programs, okay? I don't want drunk drivers on the road. I'm not sure about how constitutional it is when you talk about unreasonable search and seizure. But if you're going to apply the constitutionality test, what about that? I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have ride programs and we shouldn't try to catch uh, <clears throat> people who aren't smart enough not to drink and drive. But I'm just saying that there's plenty of other areas you can go you can go uh, talk about 
it's just enough to drive me crazy. I can't stand it when this stuff gets uh, gets overlooked or it gets um, treated um, in such a way that they only apply it in certain cases. They they never say, you know, obviously somebody had to bring this before the courts. The courts don't go out looking for cases. That much is true. But why would somebody bring this particular case to the court and demand to have a challenge and challenge it on a constitutional grounds? You're talking about people who commit the most heinous acts short of murder. I can't think of it. I, I just, I just makes me crazy. All right. Now, let's see. All right. Now, the federal minister of finance is a guy called Morneau. He's got a tax reform plan. And the conservatives under the new leader, um, Andrew Scheer, had better make hay out of this. As protesters, as, sorry, as protests grow from business groups, this is out of Ottawa Citizen today, I think. As protests grow from business groups over the government's proposed tax crackdown on private corporations, the Conservatives are getting ready to launch their own campaign against it. I would hope so. Lisa Raitt, the Conservative Party's deputy leader under Andrew Scheer, says she's been in deep discussions with doctors and small business owners over the government's tax plan and is lining up roundtables across the country to help to help air concerns about it. They dropped the policy paper in mid-July and only now does it seem to be percolating through, she said. Um, let's see. We're getting a lot of folks who want to come in. Some who want to understand the changes. Some who want to ex help explain the changes from the accounting side. We're going to be going to record all this and pass it on. I'm going to ramp this up. This is a terrible decision made by the Liberals. And if you think it's just high... Uh, white-collar law, uh, lawyers and, and doctors and what we call you know the white-collar staff, think again, because we have this out of, the, out of the National Post. And this is a story from, what's the date on it? Oh, come on, you list. Uh, I don't see this. Oh, here it is, August 15th, August, uh, updated August 17th. So it's a couple of days old. The federal government is... The federal government's proposed tax reform on private corporations unveiled in midsummer has drawn furious reactions from doctors and other high-income professionals, but there's another group in line for a nasty tax surprise once their busy summer season is over. About one quarter of all farms in Canada are family farm corporations, meaning the shares are held by family members. Their numbers have been growing rapidly even as the overall number of farms has fallen. There are 43,457 family farm co-ops in 2016, up from 28,584 in 2001. One of the reasons for the increase is the tax advantages of incorporating, and many banks and accounting firms have specific guidelines for farmers. Even the Ontario Agriculture Ministry has a guide that suggests farmers consider incorporating once their family income reaches over $75,000. Accounts who specialize, accountants who specialize in farming are sounding the alarm bells over Ottawa's proposed changes, which were unveiled July 18th for 75 days of consultation. For many farmers, the timing is in the middle of their busy growing and harvest season. Trust me, it's time to visit your MP, wrote Alan Sawake, a farm tax specialist in Edmonton, with Edmonton-based KRP in a letter sent to clients and to agriculture groups across the country. Your lobbying efforts up to October 2nd are critical at this stage to shape the tax issues surrounding your farm and all Canadian farmers. In other words, 
They're going after the, the family farm. That's what this is about. Not only are they going out, they're going to make life difficult. Think about this. They're going to make life difficult for doctors, uh, for all your high-end professionals, everybody from architects to lawyers to, you know, all the, the high-end um, white-collar professionals that we, you might not even really think about, but society depends on in order to operate properly. And they're going after farmers, too. And they're going to take away large chunks of their savings and all this boils down to this is another tax revenue scheme uh, because they just can't quit spending money. They simply won't stop spending money. They don't know how. It's like, you know, the, the, the throttle stuck on the floor and nobody's ever smart enough to reach up and turn off the key. It's just really that simple. And so what they're doing is they're trying to find every conceivable method of, try, of uh, finding new revenue streams. And the problem with that is, though, it's like <clears throat> when you do that, you reduce people's ability to earn an income later, and then you, all your tax strategies fall apart because they don't have the income to pay the, the you know, they won't have the income to pay the taxes. They won't, they won't make enough money. You won't be able to tax them because they don't make enough money anymore. You've killed it. It's just plain nonsense. And this is the kind of stuff that the boy king seems to just glory in. Absolute glory in. And I get mighty tired of this one, too. You know, these guys, the only thing I think that they stand a chance of doing well, and there's there's a wild card in the game, and that, that wild card is called Trump. We don't know exactly what he's going to do um, when it comes to NAFTA, which is what I'm talking about. Uh, that's about... The only issue I think that they have a chance at de dealing with correctly. The immigration file's a mess. As a matter of fact, I think I've got a story in here somewhere about that. Uh, Superior Court. I did at one point. Okay, I can go to Facebook and get it. So i got to go here. Anyway, um, hang on, guys. i got all kinds of things open here. Come back to you in a minute. Let me just scroll down and I'll find it. Where are you? The immigration file, the, the Trudeau says that all the, the refugees have to obey the law. They have to use the play by the rules or something like that. Just, are you serious? You know, are, is, did you really say that? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because obviously, the immigration situation is a mess. There's no doubt in my mind that, um, well, let's just say I'm skeptical. I'm just looking for the article now. I think I should have it here in a second. There's the tax one. Oh, yeah. I'll get into that one, too. Open that up. All right. Uh, let's see. There's the pigs. Oh, here it is. See, I knew if I looked long enough, I'd find it. Okay. Now, on one hand, you've got the Prime Minister talking about how the... Um, uh, the refugees, uh, everything's working fine, but they have to play by the rules. But the and the immigration minister denies that Canada was unprepared for surge, for the surge of asylum seekers. You realize, of course, why these Haitians are coming across the border, because they don't want to get deported back to Haiti. It's not that they think that Canada is that great. 
is they don't want to get deported. And a lot of these guys, the reason they don't want to get deported is because they are guilty of criminals' activity, or at least are suspected to be guilty of criminal activity. And they know they're going to be the first ones rounded up. So the best thing to do is hit hit the road, come to Canada, and have the RCMP carried, carry their luggage over the border. What they should be doing if they took this border security seriously is deploy the army on the border, set up tents. When they come across the border, they're escorted into the tent. They're looked over by a doctor to make sure there's no immediate medical threat to them. They're given a soup, a bowl of soup and a sandwich, and there's a bus waiting outside. And they get put back on the bus, and they turn around and driven right back over the border again and dumped off. With a sign on the side of the bus that says, you don't have to leave, but you can't stay here. That's how you deal with that. So Canada's immigration minister minister denies his government was poorly prepared for the surge of asylum seekers streaming on foot into Quebec from the United States this summer, even as federal officials intensify efforts to try to curb the flow of the of those showing up at irregular border crossings. We were prepared. We were always on top of this. Yeah, sure. Except for the fact that you had to put up a tent city uh, down there on the Quebec border. Uh, except for the fact that you had to use the Olympics uh, Stadium down in Montreal as a temporary shelter. Yeah, that was really prepared. Except for the fact you had to rob and, and, and steal people from the legitimate crossings to make up for the lack of personnel at the illegal crossings to process all these people, which could take up to 11 years. Good luck finding them then. But, oh no, we were ready. Yeah, baloney. Absolute nonsense. So what they've done is they've made it harder to cross at a legal border crossing because the guys at the border, and I'm not knocking the, the customs officials at the border, they got a tough enough job to do. Now you take two-thirds of them away or half of them away and you increase the workload and the burnout rate on the guys working at the border at the regular crossings like Gananoque and, and uh, Detroit and Windsor and Sarnia and the different places where people cross the border around here. Is it any wonder the lineups get longer? Is it any wonder frustration mounts? Is it any wonder Americans turn around and go back home and take their money with them? It's no wonder at all. Ask yourself this question. Have you noticed this year a decline in the number of American plates running around the city? I have. Even at a province, you don't see that many. I've seen a motorhome from Saskatchewan, and I have actually been looking. How many? You see a bunch from Quebec, but in Ottawa, that's not a big deal. You know, that's, that's normal. You see that all the time anyway. But how many have you seen from New York State? How many have you seen from Vermont, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan? We used to see those all the time. Now they're rare. Do you think maybe there might have something to do with that? Is now you've got this impossible border to get across? <sighs> all right. Let me play a couple commercials and come back and we have more to talk about right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. 
Every day we go to work to help build a better Eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. thought I'd share with you over here you can't see it but over here I have a map of the world and it shows all the countries on it and I can see I can't see who's in what country but we are international <laughs> we actually have an international audience uh, I've got uh, some people li listening in Canada obviously but there's also Germany and the Ukraine <laughs> So if you're out there in Germany or the Ukraine, welcome to the Nick at Night Show. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Uh, I don't know that the, our long-distance lines will reach that far. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. And if, if you're, if actually, if you're in the Ukraine or in Germany and you want to send me an email, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's with two L's, Late Night Council. Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. And let us know if you're listening in. Maybe, maybe you're an expat, just wanting to know what's going on back home. Maybe you're just interested in foreign affairs and want to know what's going on in the rest of the world. Trust me, we have enough lunacy to go around. And we are not done by any stretch. Talk about lunacy. The, the sports network called ESPN. Oh, my God, this stuff is so stupid. All right. So they're down in the United States. There's a college ball game going on. Uh, let's see, University of Virginia. Uh, it doesn't say what kind of game, does it? I would think this time of year is probably football. Anyway, all right. Oh, I got to throw my eyeballs on because I can't see that far away. <sighs> You're not going to believe this. If you haven't read the story already, you better be sitting down with your seatbelt on because this is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. ESPN has removed a sports commentator from covering an American football game in Charlottesville because he's a, he has the same name as Civil War General Robert E. Lee. Robert Lee was scheduled to cover a University of Virginia game in the city of the uh, in the city for the broadcaster on the second of September. ESPN said it it had moved Mr. Lee simply because of the coincidence of his name. The rally okay. So, in other words, and the guy's Asian, okay? He's Asian. He is not a southern 
white guy with the same name as the as the long dead general. Okay, his name is Robert Lee. So if this guy's name was um, Bruce Lee, would he have stood down? You know, look, I don't I don't mean to sound. Well, let's let's face it. There's a lot of people who have different different cultures have different names like the name uh, Wong in China is like Smith here Lee is another one uh, you know these are just common family names so for him to stand down is absolutely completely missing the point this is complete and utter nonsense why didn't he look at whoever whoever thought that this was a good idea whoever said yeah you know Lee no it's not working for me I just think this is too much of a problem because people are so stupid. People are so dumb that when they see the word Robert Lee, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to trigger. That's the phrase. They're going to trigger. We can't have them triggering. So, you know, Robert, you're a great guy. We love you. But for this game, they didn't fire him. They just, he's not going to be on the broadcast team. Instead of saying, wait, what? How about we just go ahead and do the broadcast and we don't get political because nobody would care. They take one look at this guy and know that he's not associated with the Robert E. Lee of the Confederate South for very obvious reasons. God, you know, sometimes I don't think if you went to Hollywood, you could make this stuff up. You just couldn't. How, how in God's name could you actually talk about with a straight face, something as banal and ridiculous as a broadcaster who has the same name. He's not even of the same ethnicity. Robert Lee was a white, a white guy from the South. He was actually from Virginia. And this guy, Robert, and Robert Lee in this case, is Asian. And yet, that was enough to get the, okay. The world has, there are days I want to stop this rock and get off because the crazies really, honestly, have taken over. And it's just, I'm not often without work for, you know what, it's happening more and more though. <laughs> oh man, yeah Don, he looks just like the general if you close your eyes. <laughs> you guys on Facebook keep me laughing, I got to tell you. Oh, man. Okay. Um, and St Stephanie, what did you mean by voting for Silly Sock? You'll have to put that in the comments. I'll watch for it. Because she said, uh, thanks for voting for Silly Sock. Um, I'm wearing socks, but I don't think they're silly. They're just black socks. Anyway, okay, whatever. Uh, so anyway, this, the, the idea of having somebody stand down for a night because he happens to have the same name. I mean, can you imagine if somebody had the same last name as... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of an example. Tecumseh or Brock. And he goes down and he's a broadcaster and he's down in southern Ontario, uh, maybe broadcasting a London, London Knights game because guess where Tecumseh was killed? Somewhere around London, up the Thames Valley. And they'd say, no, you know, this Brock thing, uh, it's not working for me. I, I think there's... It's not politically correct. I, I, I think you're going to have to sit, sit this one out. You know, just because your name is Brock. 
and you were you were you know somebody is saying you're responsible for the death of Tecumseh. That's completely devoid of fact. There's no evidence of that at all. As a matter of fact, Brock was already dead by then. But <laughs> oh man, this kind of stuff. And you wonder why I love my job. All right, now there is another story. I want to ask you a question. This goes back to this whole hate thing and how I think it's a contrived thing and I think it's but it's really starting to have a very nasty side effect. Okay, so you got this guy. Now, say with him about him what you will, but we're supposed to have free speech in this country. And I don't think anything that this guy's talking about would incite anybody to violence, okay? I don't necessarily agree with everything, and it's not he he's part of a political party called the Canada National Party. They have 200 members. So they're not exactly what I would call mainstream. It's not like they're going to win anything in the next election. To do, to do, to do. So, if the tweets of Premier Brad Wall can be used as any sort of measuring stick, the division and rancor, and rancor seen in Charlottesville, Virginia in recent days is also glaringly apparent in Saskatchewan, which I do not believe for a second. When the Premier posted Wednesday that it was if one side includes Nazis and the other side does not, there is no moral equivalency. A tweet seen as a swipe at U.S. President Donald, tweet, Donald Trump's view that both sides were to blame for deadly violence at a white supremacist rally in Virginia. Well, I guess Mr. Wall doesn't know that both sides involved in it were from the left. Both sides, the whole thing was staged. It was an absolute phony event. But, okay. All right. As well as those agreeing with Wall and condemning Nazis, many rallied against communists, Stalinists, Antifa, and what Trump recently called the alt-left. One side wants to kill Jews and black people. The other side wants to kill police and white people. Which, is, which side is left eat? Which side is less evil, said one responder. Now, with the Saskatchewan man in the spotlight for trying to host a nationalist anti-immigration rally in Toronto, some are warning about a Canadian population segment buoyed by events south of the border and Trump's response to them. Okay, let's stop for a minute there. <coughs> so it hasn't, nothing's even happened yet. Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with being alert and aware of what's going on, but we are supposed to have free speech. All right. Um, and I'm just trying to find... Um, where he talks about what's in his platform. Uh, do. Uh, do, do, do. Okay, so this is talking a little bit about what this party called the CNP, or Canadian National Party, uh, which says it holds a center-right position on the conventional political spectrum, and it says it wants to run candidates in the 2019 federal election. Its platform would change the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms to remove its stance on multi multiculturalism. Well, that's not all that radical. A lot of people would like to see that happen. And set up a national self-defense citizen militia. Okay, that might be a little out there. Another of his 21 platform points calls for the mutiny of current authority by all police enforcement, military personnel, and subsequent support for this program. Okay, that would kill it right there. Nobody's going to support a party that has that in its platform. But the point is, whether you like these guys or not, it's not the point. Is what he's is what this guy is promoting? Is it really um, Nazism and white supremacist? 
Or is the guy just worried about his country? Is he just being patriotic? I don't know. But I do know this. That this kind of stuff has to be allowed. As long as they don't get violent. As long as they can have a peaceful process, uh, protest. Then why shouldn't he come to Toronto and try to have a rally? Look, guys, there's only 200 people in the whole party. He's going to one of the most left-of-center cities in the country. How many people do you think he's going to draw? He won't draw flies. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's the truth. So why would anybody try to paint this as a rise of the so-called alt-right, which it, it isn't, but this neo-Nazi white supremacist crap here in Canada. Nobody supports that here. I don't support it. I know you guys don't support it. Nobody in their right mind supports that stuff. We went to war for five years and cost hundreds of thousands of Canadian lives. I think, I'm trying to remember the death toll, was about 36 million people or more died in that war fighting that very principle. Canada does not embrace white supremacy. Canada does not embrace Nazism. It should not embrace communism or any of its close cousins. It's just, look, the bottom line here is this guy is harmless. Let him go stand on his little soapbox. Let him have his say. When it's done, he'll go back to Saskatchewan, and that's the last anybody will ever hear of him. But no. Now we have to stop the hate. Guy, this kind of nonsense is just... I don't know. I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, is it, when did becoming... When... when here, here, let me give you this question. When did it stop being okay to be patriotic? When did it stop being okay to care about the country you live in and want to see it prosper? <coughs> to prosper and succeed. Where is that written? Was it the day that... Um, was it the day that Trudeau said, we are now, a, I am a transnationalist prime minister, or Canada is a transnationalist country. Was it that day? When all of a sudden it's not cool to be, you know, it, it's not okay to have, um, to be patriotic and rally around the flag and, and concentrate on things that unite us rather than divide us, which is what multiculturalism does. If it was me, I'd take I'd, I'd take the, the idea of multiculturalism right out of the charter yesterday. We don't need it. We're already a multiculturalistic society in the first place. We do not need it in the charter. We never did. I'm not against it. I just don't want the government to enforce it. It happens naturally. So I don't think this guy is all that. He's got some silly ideas, but he's not going anywhere politically anyway. So who cares? You know, it's kind of like the NDP. They know they're never going to win, so they can say or do whatever they want. Green Party, same thing. You know, you look at the Green Party platform. Tell me, you you know, you'd want them to run the country. Now they kind of are helping out in BC. That's true, but the bottom line is, when you know you'll never be held accountable for the, what you say, you can say anything. 
It's kind of like what's wrong with Facebook. You know, you go on Facebook and you have people saying and doing all kinds of crazy things. <sighs> so, it's not hatred to be patriotic. I think it's every, it's every Canadian's duty to be patriotic, to love their country. Enough that if necessary, you would lay down your life to defend it. That is not radical. It is not radical to want some control over the front door. It is not radical to demand that those who do not share, to demand an accounting of those who do not share our values. Why are you here? What do you want? Ask them some tough questions. And then if we don't like the answers, throw them out. It's our house. We live here. We're the ones who should be setting the rules. That's not cruel. That is not inhumane. That does not rob anyone of their dignity. That simply maintains the integrity of our country. And if, if there's any nation in the world that is worth maintaining, it's this one. Time to take a break. We'll come back with more right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the Greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. All right, final segment of the show, folks. You know what? I just can't get this idea out of my head about this guy from Saskatchewan. I really don't. Of all the threats that we face, he should be the least of our concerns. You know, a guy with 200, 200 members in his party wants to run the candidates next time. Fine. I mean, we have the Communist Party. We've got, you know, a whole host of parties, the Pirate Party. You know, the Communist Party uh, provides a much greater threat than this guy does. So what are we doing? What kind of nation are we allowing to, our country to turn into? So these kind of things really have always bothered me. Uh, even in the case of Ernst Zundel, I have nothing in common with him. He just Apparently he just passed away in, in Germany. But he lived in Canada for years, was an ardent Nazi, and I think he should have been allowed to get up on a soapbox and say whatever the heck he wanted to in the public square and let people deal with him, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis. And he'll figure out pretty fast that people don't agree with his point of view. That's 
how you deal with radicals like that. You don't throw them out, you shout them down. You shout them down, you shut them down. They'll quit. Nobody likes potatoes in the face on a regular basis. Rotten cabbages, I'm not, I'm not condoning that, but I'm just saying that, you know, you, you, if all you ever do is get rid of people who don't like you or who have a different worldview than you do, then before long, you'll be surrounded by yes-men. And having said that, I had to block somebody tonight, and it really bothered me for, these reasons, for exactly these reasons. I didn't want to do it, and I probably let it go too long on Facebook. And the reason was, I don't like taking... I, I enjoy a good, passionate debate you know, with people who disagree with me. I've always enjoyed it, because you learn stuff that way, and you can impart a little bit that way. As long as it's respectful, even if it gets heated. And there's people on Facebook, we do not agree. Absolutely do not agree. But I have no interest in banning them because you can see the intelligence behind their argument. But in this particular case, it had gotten to the point of trolling, like really trolling and crossing lines. And I said, as much as I hate to do this, I really, really, really don't want to do this. But I have no more. I have no choice. I just it got to a point where the individual wasn't bringing anything to the table anymore. There was they weren't offering anything in conversation that made it worthwhile listening to. So you get to a point where you say, you know what? I just for the sake of the group at large, you have to let them go. You have to block them because they're they're, they're causing more damage than anything they're contributing. It was. One of, one of the favorite tricks of this individual was once you had uh, run the course of a conversation and it blew up in his face, as it always did, um, <clears throat> they would throw into the mix and say, aha, I gotcha, with a completely different story on a completely different topic. And you'd look at it and go, what that devil does this have to do with what we're just talking about? Because he had nowhere else to go. He painted himself into a corner. Now what do you do? So that was the tactic. The last time he tried, he tried to make me... He tried to imply that just because I'm a Catholic, I had to agree with the Pope's opinion on immigration, which I don't. There is nothing in the Catholic doctrine, Catholic Church that says I have to... Um, I have to agree with every word out of the Pope's mouth. There is a doctrine that says when the Pope speaks with, uh, in concert with his cardinals, in the, with the College of Cardinals, and he makes a pronouncement on doctrine, then I have to accept it, and I have to believe it to maintain my status as a Catholic. I don't have a choice. But that's not what we were talking about. So anyway. Well, that said, boy, that was a quick two hours, man. There was lots on the table, and there's probably more I should have gotten to that I didn't. So for that, I apologize, but uh, it looks to me like we are just about out of time. As a matter of fact, no, I know we're just about, we are out of time. Uh, I want to thank you all uh, for your participation this evening. It was a great show, and I certainly hope you learned something and got something out of it. I know I did. I always do. And thank you for the feedback. I know in, in most cases, I don't get a chance to respond uh, Facebook just is too fast, and uh, I see a lot of it, and I'll go back over it later and have a look. Um, if I get a chance to make a comment, I will. But um, 
by all means, keep commenting, share the video, spread the word, that kind of stuff. And remember, um, this show is as much yours as it is mine. So if you want it to be successful, help build the audience. Tell people about it. Um, don't be afraid to give me a call. I don't, I, I don't bite very often, and when I do, I don't bite hard, and I've had most of my shots. All right, with that said, I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you all very much for participating, and, uh, <clears throat> and we will see you all again next Wednesday night right here. We'll be Kenny Toss at Amor. They all CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following of sea. Of all the money that it I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done. Alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit to memory now I can't recall. So fair. Since it fell